Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. If you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 2. I will not have you hopscotch around this week. I appreciated y'all's patience last week. But Peter's story was just too important to tell. I don't know about you guys, but I sure wouldn't want someone to take one day out of my life and build the whole story on that. Wouldn't that be horrible? Especially, especially if it was a really bad day. Uh, so we had to give Peter a fair chance and let a, a few different pictures. We, we needed to do that for him. All right, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are here to honor you, to glorify you, and to understand you better. We invite you into our lives and in the ways that you would desire. Father, I pray that you are pleased that your children have gathered in your presence. I pray that you delight in that. I thank you that you make yourself available to us in all the ways that you do. And, and you just blow me away. Father, I ask you to come in power. Be the word that is active and alive, Father. Cut right through all the thoughts that we would have, all the plans that we would have. And Father, especially all the burdens on everyone's heart. God, I know that every woman sitting out here has a full load, and some of them are probably feeling like they're being crushed under their load. God, you are with them, but God, that doesn't always make us feel great about it. We can still feel like we're being crushed. I pray, Father, that you will let us hear you and experience you tonight through all of that. And Father, I pray that you'll also teach us how to hear your voice through your word and through all the different ways that you speak to us um, in the midst of all that circumstances, not separate from it, but in the midst of it. And so, Father, I pray that you will just come and have your way here tonight, God. I ask you to come in and with power, Father, speak your word. I believe this is the lesson that you have prepared for us tonight. And so, Father, I'm asking you and through the Holy Spirit just to come and speak it into our hearts in ways that, that we might have to absorb and not even fully understand its impact on us, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want you guys to stay in John chapter 2, right where you are. But the first verse I'm actually going to have you look at, it'll be up on the screen, is back in Genesis 12. Um, you might remember that when, when Abraham received his call from God, we studied this passage pretty thoroughly. Oh, we just got there with you guys, right? We're in that week this week studying Abraham. God said to him, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
tonight's challenge that is really before us is the fact that God continues to give us this same promise in the form of this. God says, I will make you. I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. We all have that same blessing and promise spoken over our lives. I will make you. I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. The problem is, in our natural state, we are not a blessing. Have you been a blessing today? It depends on what minute you might ask me. But, but what about becoming a blessing that not because we just did something, but because of who we became? Could that be a blessing to somebody? Can God's work go that far so that we're not just serving him and running errands for him? which is how I think I saw service for a long time, meaning, you know, I did the things he sent me out to do. I was just, I've been, you know, in my own Bible study with God, it's in a different place than this. I obviously am immersed in this material through writing, but he speaks to me in other materials myself. Um, he and I are reading through a couple of, an Old Testament book and a New Testament book, but he's also having me looking back through my journals. I don't like it when he has me do some of these things. I don't know about you guys. But I really didn't want to trudge back through some things. But he was very specific with me. And, and so I've been doing it. And I came across, just in the last few days, five years ago, where I was writing in my journal that I feel like there are moments that the Holy Spirit works through me, especially if I was teaching or just serving in some way. You know how if you have a moment with someone and you feel like you are a blessing to them? But I also felt like that all turned off when I went on about my normal life. Now, I knew the Holy Spirit was with me. Don't get me wrong. But it felt like two different Tammies. Not a pretend Tammy. I'm not saying that. But just kind of a, a Tammy that at times could kind of show up and, and God would work through me. And then I'd turn around and go back to my normal life. And it didn't feel like the same Spirit's presence rested in both places. And in my journal, that was what I was writing. And a friend had challenged me that that was not true. That just because I wasn't aware of it or experiencing it did not mean that I was right about that. I would say to you now, he has proven to me in these last five years that I was very wrong about what I felt at that time. But it's a process in learning with him. We, we don't know it all to begin with. He builds it just like you build a city. And so tonight, what he wants to build in us is this question of, can he make us something different? Does he bless us? And could we possibly be just by being ourselves? Be a blessing. Now we look in John chapter 2. I think this will be a familiar story for, for some of you. On 
On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Don't you know she just about put her hand on her hip? Do whatever he tells you. She was ignoring what he had said. Do you catch that? She's ignoring him flat out. Nearby stood six stone water jars. She was, after all, his mother. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Why this miracle? I don't know of any other place where he did this kind of thing. In the Old Testament, of course, God brought water out of a rock, but but it wasn't like he just extended the life of the party. You know, I, why this? Why this miracle? See, I, I think I, I would just sort of expect him to kind of raise somebody from the dead or something for the first one. Wouldn't you kind of want a showstopper, you think? I mean, it wasn't essential. This miracle wasn't necessary. Think about your life. Is that what you would ask him to do for you? No, it wasn't essential. Of all the people and all the miracles he would perform and people would line up and bring their sick to him and and, um, the crippled and the diseased and the demon-possessed. I don't think anybody was thinking along these lines. Why this miracle to start out with? Something that was not even necessary. Because Nothing that God ever does, and it was God's will for Jesus to do this miracle, nothing that God ever does is an afterthought, a coincidence, or just an aside. He is intentional. This miracle is going to represent what Jesus Christ has actually coming to the earth to do. The first time Jesus will ever teach, you'll see it throughout your Bible study, he tells them that he has come to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to release the prisoners, and to to declare the day of the Lord's favor. That is no coincidence that he made his statement right out front what he came to do. Neither is it a coincidence that this is the miracle that God chose for Jesus to do to begin with. 
God is in the business of changing things, changing people. I'm really struck by the fact that God didn't just come to save us from hell. I have never gotten over this as I've come to understand it. I just can't get past it. It's not just that he saved me from hell. He saved me for a life with him. And you know, in the Old Testament, when they were hit, the people of God, they were his. And he he would have them make a mark to remember that they are his. But he doesn't just make us ours. He doesn't just save us and say, okay, you're mine now. He wants to change us. He wants to transform who we are. We are not just his. We actually get to become different than we were. Did you notice verse 9? says, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Speaking to the ma- about the master of the banquet, he tasted the water that had been changed into wine, but he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The problem is, and this is point one on your outline, or the first bullet point, The problem is that we know where we come from. If God's business is to change us from ordinary water into wine, something that changes things, but we know where we come from. And I think that we can get stuck there very easily. So God's solution is to say to us, I will make you different. He doesn't just give us the Holy Spirit to give us strength and teaching and power. He does it so that we actually can become different people. In his decision, I will make you. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We know that, don't we? We've been made into a new creation. So number one on your outline, the first major point, in Christ, I am a new creation. We're going to look at the same verse, but this time um, in a different translation. It's the New Living Translation. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 again. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has begun. So point number two on your outline is this. In Christ, I'm no longer the same person I once was. I am no longer the same person I once was. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, the first part of the verse we're going to read says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Well, here's the problem. Some of us were saved a really long time ago. I was a little tiny girl when I accepted Christ in my Savior. And so for me, whenever I've heard those passages about being made new, I think, well, I sure ruined whatever new there was. Because I made all my big mistakes after I was a Christian. I don't know about you guys. 
But that newness, surely I just I just never felt like I was new. If it happened, you know, right at salvation and baptism, I feel like I, I did a pretty poor job with that new creation. Y'all ever feel that way? Well, I was new. Not I am new. I was new. Well, the other part of this verse is essential for us to understand tonight. And have put on the new self, which is continually being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. That brings us to point number three on your outline. In Christ, I am a new creation who is continually being made new again. Now, I don't know about you guys. I know y'all knew the first part of this message was kind of a repeat. Like, yep, 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 got it, got it. Do you live this? A new creation continually being made new again. Somebody out there tonight needs to know it started again. You're new again. And you're new in a better way. All right, well, how does all of this happen? If the miracle that Jesus did is to really demonstrate for us that the average ordinary human being can receive his offer of salvation and go from being ordinary well water to being wine full of life, full of body, full of spirits. You know, we call in the older circles, you know, they call alcohol spirits, right? Full of spirit and Excellent quality wine. How does that happen? Is it something that we learn? Is it something that we figure out? Is it that we finally just do it wrong enough times that we figure out how to do it right? No, there's a better answer than that. Thank the Lord. The process that we become wine is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 gives us a verse that's important. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. I've capitalized peace there. The, the last piece, because the peace he is referring to is the Holy Spirit. It, this verse is not separated into uh, another place where he's not referenced. He's specifically telling us about the Holy Spirit. And that gift that will give us peace of mind and heart is the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit has certain things he wants to accomplish in our lives. So there you have bullet points under number four under the Spirit. The Spirit First bullet point, teaches and reminds. When you are doing your lessons, when you're going about your day and you learn something, the light bulb goes on. You feel tapped on the shoulder, however you refer to it. You go, ah, that, my sister, my brother online, is the Holy Spirit. He teaches and reminds. The more you spend time in the word, the easier it is for him to remind you of things because it's in there. It's in there. 
Number two bullet point, the spirit brings peace. That does not mean he fixes everything. I cannot stand up here and tell you that if you follow Christ and you do God's will, you will have no trouble. You will have plenty of money and no disease will ever come to you. I cannot tell you that. It certainly has not been my life story. And I don't see evidence that that is what Jesus Christ is pointing to whatsoever. Most of his miracles had to do with physical things. But the miracle of the Holy Spirit who is left among us is that he does all those same things inside the human heart and the human life. There are broken places in you that are crippled and you need dancing legs. There are places in you that died away, dreams that you had or things that you believed were once true about yourself and you no longer believe it, but God still believes it. And that thing needs to be resurrected. And you do not have the power to do it, my sister. If you are still trying to fix yourself, it's going to be a hard road for you. But if you're willing to submit to the process with God, if you're willing to let the Holy Spirit lead you down the path, the problem is that we think that the Spirit's path is going to look one way when it actually looks different than we thought it would. What if it leads through suffering? My life has absolutely been through a good bit of that. What if it leads to uh, questions rather than answers? And it will at times. Are we going to walk the path he chooses for us, even when it's not the path we want for ourselves? Third bullet point, the Spirit brings freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We've been talking uh, about your heart being like a house. We started our first session that way, um, I think in week two, I believe that's where it is on day three. Um, We talked more about that. We're going to be mentioning that throughout because it's a picture, um, even that scriptures will, you'll see as we develop this more, uh, uses some of that picture uh, in the scriptures as well. But because some people have joined us after we have started and are, have not had an opportunity to do all the material up to now, I don't want to take it for granted that you understand this. So I'm just going to quickly say that if you can picture your heart like a house, it is easier to understand how God works in processes, in stages, and in areas. When you think, I gave my whole heart to Christ when I accepted him. Why am I not better and different? Because there are rooms in your heart that have not been fully turned over to the Holy Spirit. And this is not to condemn or to shame. It is a process. And he knocks on the door of the room he wants to work in next. You don't have to direct him. Matter of fact, you're not even always aware that that room is still there because it's something you may have some part of you that you have lived with for so long in this other way. that You would have no idea God would want to go back and do something in that place. That has surprised me over and over because I just thought this is what being grown up is like. This is just the way it is. He's going to knock on doors in your room. So we first pictured that when the Holy Spirit comes in at salvation, I know it feels kind of funny, but we put him in the basement. And the reason we said we did that because 
He has not taken over the entire life. You have given him access to your soul and your heart. But he may not be in your money yet. He might not be in your marriage yet. He's not. It is a progressive taking over, and we have to cooperate. If you have any questions about whether this could possibly be true, look at Christians around you, not judgmentally, not critically. But Paul tells us that we are to make wise judgments based on actions, not on motives. We want to always refrain from judging motives. We think we know why someone did that. Be careful, because we never do. But we can still look at what is and and call a spade a spade. As Jesus said, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Here's the deal. There have been a lot of rooms in my life that still had a lot of bad fruit in them. And I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about it was a mess. I was always tripping over myself in that area. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, There was a time probably nine years ago, something like that that God began to show me that I was always apologizing for myself. I know I still do this some, but not nearly as much as I once did. But the reason I was apologizing is because after something would happen, I would think, dadgummit, I wish I had done that different. Why? Because my insecurities would have flared up is what really would have happened. And I would have bumbled all over myself. And yes, I still have moments of this. But I used to feel like it happened all day in all kinds of ways. And the Lord had me, not necessarily going to call you to this, but he had me reevaluate every day. So the, the next morning I would wake up and in my quiet time with him, I would have to think back of what do I wish I could change about yesterday? Now, I don't mean, you know, I wish I'd done the dishes before I went to bed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what when I think it over, I think, ugh. And something as simple as calling the church office to speak to my husband and having to go through the secretary and and apologizing to her. I'm sorry that I have to bother you, but I just really want to speak to Terry because at that time they didn't have any direct lines. It was just recently that they had those direct lines. And, And she would say, Tammy, that's my job because Susan Thomas is one of the most gracious people you will ever meet. And I I don't even remember what I said, but I stumbled all over myself apologizing. And her gracious response was just in great contrast to the clumsiness I felt inside. Do you know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever have these moments? You just think, or you act badly in a situation. You take it, you're defensive. I had a lot of defensiveness, whatever it was. And, And the Lord would say, why did you do that? So the next morning I'm thinking it over. Well, why did you do that? Well, because I was afraid of what she was going to think of me. But, but what was she going to think? And he literally took me through a process of having to evaluate what was the fear. She's going to think I'm an idiot. Or I'm in the way. I have really no right to be bothering her, whatever it was. But what I discerned after doing this pattern of time with him is that about 10 or 11 things were under Every action. In other words, I discerned these lies that, um, and I can't recall them to tell you exactly what they were, but I discerned all these lies and I saw a pattern of behavior under all these different circumstances. And so once I established that, then I could easily look back on a day and say, that's what happened. Well, the more you know about that process, the better you can cooperate with God in it and to allow him to begin to reprogram. I just needed a tremendous amount of rewiring, y'all. My thought patterns went the wrong direction, and I don't even mean sinful direction. I mean 
you know, insecure, fearful, anxious, you know, all of those different things, the wrong direction for so long. But the point is that until the Holy Spirit comes into that area, it's a mess. It is. And once he knocks on that door, which I just kind of described for you, one of the ways he knocked on a door in my mind's processes, I responded to him and I began to let him take over there. And while I am still in process, I have more freedom. But the truth is you only have freedom from the spirit where you have let him take over. If there's a place that's locked in your house and you're saying, nope, not yet. You do not have freedom in that area because the spirit is not running things. Doesn't matter that he has the deed to your heart. He's not running things. Well, what about the next part of it, which says that the gift is that I will bless you. Number five on your outline is this. God's greatest blessing to us is himself as the Holy Spirit in us. The greatest blessing is himself as the Holy Spirit in us. I hope that in the holiday season ahead, that every single time you see the word Emmanuel, you think God with us and you take it one step further and Emmanuel becomes God is with me. Because it does, it does no good for Hadassah to know that God is with us. That will not change her life. In theory, she'll comfort herself with those words. But when she takes to heart, God is with me. A power and a strength rises. It isn't yours until you begin to believe it for yourself. This Bible study is very application heavy, isn't it? I didn't realize that about it because this is what you have before you. That's how I process every single scripture, not exactly in the formula that is laid out for you. And the Bible study, by the way, is intended to begin to teach you and it's actually already been doing that, but it's in a more direct fashion, how to read scriptures and understand them for yourself, meaning not to understand in theory what it's saying, but to take it to heart. That's what this Bible study is all about. And we're not going to, you know, just cut you off and not do that. But what I'm going to be doing and trying uh, to do with the help of the Holy Spirit is teach you how to take these scriptures and know where and how is the, the appropriate and truthful way to apply that to your life. Because there is no word from God that is void, meaning it doesn't matter what scripture I read. I can't say, well, that wasn't his word for me today. Well, yes, it was. Now, I might not have had the mountains move over it. You're not going to have the mountains move even every day. But he wants that seed planted in my heart today. And I might not know till two weeks from now what he was going to do with that thing. And sometimes I'm not going to know it all. But I promise you, there is not a word in your study. If God has directed you to take this, when you land on it, it's for you. But until you begin to believe that, it really will not change who you are. His blessing is the Emmanuel, God is with me. What I want you to know tonight, when you think of yourself as ordinary well water, you know, you think about that story. And, and those servants went and pulled that water up. When did it turn to wine? Have y'all ever asked yourself that question? It doesn't tell us. 
Did it turn into wine as they were pulling it up out of the well? I don't think so because it was still water coming up out of there. Did it become wine when they took the water and actually went to the master as Jesus instructed them? What we do see in the New Testament over and over, I pray that you'll start to look for this, and we will be incorporating more and more New Testament scriptures. The Old Testament gives us beautiful pictures, and the New Testament is full of a lot of doctrine and theology, but that stuff comes to life. You, you will see New Testament scriptures every time we meet here together because the Old Testament is showing something that is true for us in the New Testament, only sometimes the New Testament words, depending on the translation you're using, it can fly right over your head as to what it means for you. Doesn't matter that it's true in theory. It needs to be true for you. When did it become wine? The, the thing that we see in the New Testament over and over and over when Jesus performed miracles, start, just, just tuck this in the back of your head and see if God doesn't show it to you. Over and over, Jesus will say, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. He will say it over and over. Matter of fact, there's one place and it's, it's just, it's disturbing when he goes home to his hometown. And you know, it says the part about a prophet's never very welcome in his hometown and all of that. But you know what it says is he could do literally the scripture says he could do very little miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now, hold on a second. Our God can do anything, right? He can. What part does our faith play in it? It said Jesus could not do them because their faith was not big enough. Now, I'm not going to tell you either. I'm not saying at all that if, if you know, you just never doubt, that means God's going to heal that sick loved one that you want him to heal. I, I just cannot tell you that. I, I can't, in the, in the thorough, uh, in the scriptures that I know, I cannot find basis that that you can twist God's arm any which way at all, actually. There is no place that I see that if we will just get this one thing right, he is bound to do something for us. He's not a magic genie in the bottle, girls. But there is a correlation in our faith. Well, I don't know if it's when the servants pulled it up and brought it to Jesus or how that went, it doesn't say really Jesus being involved in it except to say to them, take it to the master of the ceremonies. I wonder if it was still water when they were walking it over to him. I wonder if it was water until it tasted into his mouth. I don't know. But what we want to know for sure is that the Holy Spirit changes things. I want you to know tonight, point six on your outline, your best life is yet ahead because your best you is yet ahead. Here's what I mean. The more you will cooperate with the Holy Spirit's process in life, your life, the more he takes over those rooms. And it isn't you who's driving things. It's not you and your strength and your power and your wisdom and, and your understanding. It's his. And you know things you can't know because he tells them to you. You, you have wisdom that is it's not yours, but he gives that to you. You have strength and confidence that is not yours, but it's him in you. If we are continually being renewed, my better me is down the road still. And I'm excited about that. 
And when I look back on my path, that has absolutely been true. If we, if we stop giving God the right to change us, what happens then? The one thing also in Scripture you see over and over is God gives us choice. God forbid that he would do this work in you and you walk away. Don't come up short. Don't stop short. You want to be that wine. The quality of your life, I'm not sure if this is a blank on your, on your outline or not. I can't remember how I word it. But the quality of your life is more about what is going on inside your heart and mind than it is about what is going on around you. I want that to sink in for a second. The quality of your life is more about what is going on inside your heart and mind than it is about what is going on around you. How much of your life have you lived anxious, worried, fretting, fearful, exhausted, overwhelmed? And you look back on the circumstances now and they've come together. You're here. Somehow things have moved on. So much of the quality of life is not at all about what circumstances we find ourselves in. It's about what's going on inside of us. Romans 8, 5, and 6 has something to say about this. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Colossians 3.10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The thing when you see sinful nature there, you're going to hear uh, Paul in the New Testament books because he writes most of them outside of the Gospels. You're going to hear him say, put off this thing, put on this thing, crucify this thing and live this way. When he talks about the sinful nature, that's just that natural part of you in there that is still got the, the rooms that are locked up, that are still running the show. Somewhere in your heart, you're thinking, well, I think we're doing just fine right now, God. I don't want you to butt in. Or you don't like what he's asking you to, to do. That The sin nature is, is what is your humanity, is your human will wanting to assert itself. We have been crucified to the power of sin, but we never stop being human. And there's a will inside of you. And if it isn't lined up with God's will in that area, one's winning. And the Spirit will not take it from you until you say, take it. Now, I can tell you good news is this, that there are things that you cannot do in your strength. There are many things you cannot do in your strength. And where you will find yourself is falling down on your face, whether it be literally or figuratively, and you finally say to God, I give up. I give up. But I don't know how to change this thing. I don't know how to do this thing. I haven't got a clue, and it has power over me. But I give it to you, God. Then who takes over is the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean you get off scot-free and can go get a vacation. It does mean, however, that you're not operating in your strength anymore. And he never asks you to jump over an entire mountain. 
He asks you to take one more step forward today. And this time you're taking the step forward with the Holy Spirit. I, I like to think of it this way. Do you guys ever remember those pictures of the astronauts on the moon? Or I guess that's the only place they really landed and walked around, right? You ever see them where they take a step, but they kind of float over? That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is walking with you and, and you are surrendered to him. You take one step, but you go, woo! And it doesn't feel like it at the time. Here's the thing. We don't realize how far we've come with the Spirit usually. I think God does this on purpose. I think he really loves to surprise us too. I really do. Until he goes, taps you on the shoulder and go, look back, which is what going through the journals has been for me. Look back. Oh, how many footsteps are there? Well, there's only, I only see six landing points, but look how far we've come. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The end result is that you will be a blessing. If you will cooperate with God in his process, the gift is not just that you'll be a moral person. It is not just that you'll show up to church. It's not just that you'll go teach a Sunday school class. It's not just that you'll always smile at your husband and have your lipstick on when he comes home from work. I'm, I don't have that one worked out yet. I haven't been convicted about it yet either, but maybe, maybe God's going to knock on that one. It will not be that you become a perfect person. It is, though, that because the Holy Spirit has more of the rooms of your heart, you are just plain different. And here's what different means. I want you guys to get this because it doesn't mean that I begin to look like somebody else and they need to look like me. Please, please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. What it means is that the design God had in mind when he created you and you were a thought in his head, a dream in his heart before you came to being. You realize this, right? He thought about you. He thought through every choice you would ever make and decided, I want her. And here you are. And you have the personality he wanted you to have. You have the strengths and the weaknesses he wanted you to have. The experiences that he chose for you, that if you could have chosen, you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. You have those things that are his. When you become wine, what it really means is that he removes the stuff that accumulates in your heart and your life and your minds and thought processes along the way. He removes the things he never meant for you to carry. And you become free to be the beautiful design he dreamed up. To radiate his presence and his glory. To just reflect him. And it isn't that you become invisible. I remember saying to Joyce a few years ago, people see something when they see me and I, it's, not, it's not right. I mean, I just want them to see him. Do you remember these comments? We had it more than one time. I don't want them to see me. They think too highly of me. People, you know, would say things to me. I would say, but it doesn't, it's just not true. It's just him. His presence will fill you, but you don't get to be invisible. He never meant for you to be invisible. It doesn't mean you become prideful. It just means you stand up and be who he made you to be. Do you remember being a four-year-old little girl? When I was a four-year-old little girl, a five-year-old little girl, I still had an innocent, pure heart. I hadn't been destroyed. And so 
I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be the center of attention. If somebody pulled the camera out, I was, you know, hamming it up, right? Do you remember these parts of yourself? You would sing and not wonder if you were off key. You smiled because there was no reason not to. Because life was interesting and you were curious. That's who he designed you to be. It's the things that happen along the way that take that from us. It's the things that we take on, the stuff that people pile onto us through sin against us, through life experiences, through we begin to make assumptions about things. It's him freeing you of those things that lets you go back to being that creation. And you're not two and a half feet tall anymore. And well, there's men listening, so I won't say anything about stretch marks or anything like that. But but your heart becomes what he designed it to be. You don't look like me, and you're not supposed to. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, thank God I wouldn't even want to be friends with myself. I've really thought this out. You know, you think you're the most obnoxious person around, most likely. You become a blessing just by being the good creation he designed you to be. Without all the stuff that you've been carrying, this Bible study, hopefully, and not because of the study, but just because of the cooperative process, will allow you to lay down some things. Because that's all God wants to do through this study, through another study, through any study, is to help you lay some things down. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more you may still feel like muddy water on a given day. We never can see about ourselves what others see, do we? Do we really? But, but Jesus makes a promise in this miracle and throughout the work of the Holy Spirit and through the, through the scriptures as a whole, he didn't just come to save you from an eternity apart from him. He did not just come to save you for, for himself, just, just to um, be his people. He did those things, but he also came to change you, to take back what the enemy has stolen and to help you be rid of and be free of all the things you carry that he never meant for you to carry. Don't stop with him until you are feeling that thing. To, don't stop with him ever because you just have stuff. You're going to have stuff. New stuff's going to come along. You're going to have to deal with it. But don't quit. You are not the one who is meant to stay the way you are. You are not. Mm-hmm.